Hello, this is Beyond Belief Sobriety, a podcast that explores topics of interest to people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Well, thank you for taking a little time to listen to this podcast. I hope it'll be a good experience for you and that it adds a little something extra to your recovery capital. This episode features a conversation with RJ Zimmerman and Monty Ball from the Untapped Keg podcast. We have an interesting conversation about recovery and podcasting about recovery that I think you'll enjoy. But before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsor, Soberlink. If you're seeking a tangible way to maintain accountability and prove sobriety to loved ones, you have to try Soberlink. If you haven't heard of Soberlink, they've created a remote alcohol monitoring system that revolutionizes the way people document sobriety. The system includes a breathalyzer and uses artificial intelligence to display your test results in a calendar format, helping you analyze your habits and prove to yourself and others that you are, in fact, not drinking. It even has real-time results, facial recognition, and tamper detection, so no one will question the validity of your results. Soberlink and I have created a guide called Five Tools and Strategies for Those on a Secular Path to Recovery that you can find at Soberlink.com BBS. If you're ready to take the next step in your recovery journey, mention the Beyond Belief Sobriety podcast when ordering Soberlink, and you'll receive $50 off their device. And now, episode 254, The Untapped Keg, with R.J. Zimmerman and Monty Ball. And uh, we have a couple of guests here with us today, and they have a podcast themselves called The Untapped Keg, and uh, also a YouTube channel, which you're going to have to check out. But we have Monty Ball and R.J. Zimmerman. How are you guys doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to be here, and I really, really appreciate uh, this opportunity to chat. This is what it's all about, so thank you. I'm, I'm good as well. Well, I love talking to podcasters for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't have to worry about your headset and noise stuff. <laughs> and it's just, I think, a really unique experience podcasting about recovery. It has been kind of transformative for, for me. And I like to hear from other recovery podcasters about what the experience was like for them. But before we get into all of that, why don't we start out with an introduction of both of you through your recovery story, and then we can kind of get into your podcast, how it started, why it started, what, what it's been like so um who wants to go first i'll let you go first months all right all right i'll do it uh, so again i really appreciate this my name is uh monte ball and uh, i'm i'm the co-host of uh untapped keg podcast with uh, my brother-in-law right down there rj zimmerman and i've i've known rj since 2010 mm-hmm. um when he first started dating my sister I said, you know my family welcomed him with open arms and at that time in my life um i was still you know i was drinking alcohol i was in i was in college i was doing all what um unfortunately what, what college um students do partying and yeah. not really paying attention to taking care of my body but my story you know my story. My story is long, but I won't won't get too long with it here. But it's it's it starts with the game of football for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my story at the age of eight, wanting to be a running back for the Denver Broncos. Um, so I was then placed on the track of playing in the NFL. And again, I was fortunate enough to play in the NFL. But throughout this entire process of getting there, I was significantly struggling with severe depression, alcoholism and very high anxiety that mm. 
high, high anxiety, low lows with depression. Right. Um, and it really came about when I was in college. Once I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, started to see everybody else drinking and partying. Because at first, when I was doing it in high school, um, I wasn't doing it a lot. But I had my parents, of course, and they were telling me, hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. It's something you shouldn't be doing. Uh, let's focus on your school, focus on your goals, where you want to get in life. But, you know, I was a teenager, felt as if I had all the answers. But once I got to college and I started to see everybody else doing it, I then just thought that my parents were just being like every other parent out there, you know, telling your kid to just focus on school and all that stuff. So once I made it to college, it was like I felt free and I started drinking more, um, partying more. And that just opened up the door, made me way more susceptible to lower lows, Mm -hmm. those depressive moments coming off of those high moments. And obviously not having a lot of experience or knowledge regarding mental health, not never really addressing it, just hiding it, allowed for it to grow, manifest Mm -hmm. into something to where I really started self-medicating with alcohol. At that moment, I built a very strong relationship with alcohol. At first, it was just something I did in social events. Then it became something I was doing behind closed doors by myself. Do you remember what do you remember the time or the moment and you might not where you kind of started using alcohol like it was medicine, like it was it was there to help you with whatever you need. Absolutely. Yeah. In 2011, um, in which would be my junior year in college is when that relationship shifted from something I use in social events to something that I use to help me during my tough days. And then it became something I used even when I wasn't having tough days. I may have just felt like I was having a tough day, but again, that was the alcohol side of me talking to me, wanting that fix. And so I developed a very strong relationship with it and suffered from extreme depression And once I was drafted by the Denver Broncos, the pressures, the societal pressures of playing on a big stage of the demands of the game of football and not addressing my mental health allowed it really opened up the door for me to to self-destruct. I led to a self-destructive path and then everybody around me received a different Monte, very upset and angry Monte went from the happy-go-lucky drunk to the angry drunk. Because Mm -hmm. at that moment, I then knew that my playing days were coming to an end because of what I was doing off the field. And I couldn't really sit with that. Wow. And and that then accelerated to me just not being a great partner at all, not being a great son, not being a great uh, friend. And I just had to make a decision, man. I, I really had to. So for me, my turning point from excessive use of alcohol um, were many reasons. The birth of my child. Mm-hmm. But then also one thing that RJ always states, and we say it on our podcast, is also understanding that it is a selfless act that you must make. But it's also a selfish act. Right. As right. well. Yeah. That's what they told me early on is. Uh, when they are giving me my talk about, well, when they were firing me <laughs> for my job, they told me, they said, um, get help, but do it for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. So my story really revolves around a, a significant amount of pressure of to perform on the field, 
but then obviously just wanting to be a student, wanting to just be a normal, right. a normal person, yeah. <laughs> um, living in the limelight, living in that fishbowl experience where all eyes are on you, that's criticism constantly. And just I self-medicated and that's what made me feel good. Mm-hmm. But since therapy, um, the podcast and obviously RJ being in my corner, um, mm-hmm. I can say today that I am strong in my recovery from alcohol. It is cool. it is something that I'm proud of um, and something that I'm excited for. So, again, don't want to get it too long with it. I want That's RJ great. to go, but uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Super. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. So, RJ, what's your story? Uh, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm a Wisconsinite through and through. <laughs> and I know so, about that. My yeah. uh, my brother lived in Wisconsin for a long time, and I have two nephews that are Wisconsinites. And they were living in La Crosse, where there's a bar literally mm-hmm. on every single corner, maybe a couple of bars in every single corner. So anyway, they get it. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's every town in Wisconsin, right? That's, yeah. yeah, that's honestly the uh, Yeah, it's the a big joke. drinking state for sure. The it's joke older. is you go to any town in Wisconsin and there's at least four bars in a church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, so, you know, growing up, uh, my dad is also an alcoholic. He's been sober for 25 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's closer to 30 now. He just quit. And then he's a, he's a very private person. So he, he's always kept his emotions and everything kind of to himself. So I grew up knowing that it was a part of my family, um, but it's not something we talked about. Yeah, I just knew my dad never drank and I knew that he had problems uh, controlling how much that he consumed. So I like going through high school. I first time I drank was my senior year. I was scared to get caught, scared to miss sports, but also like I just knowing that like that that's there in my family. So more than likely it's going to be me. But then I went to college and, uh, you know, you, you, I grew up in a small town, knew everybody went to school with the same people from kindergarten till we graduated senior year. Like I'm not even joking. The same 80 kids. Like mm-hmm. I graduated with hundred people. There was maybe 20 people in and out. I would say that would be a high number. It was probably less than that. So I knew everybody from when I was a kid, but then when you have to start to make friends, you have to start to take care of yourself. You know, alcohol was something that it was easy to start to open up with people. And I would drink a lot. Obviously, you know, you know, all the deals like, you know, Tuesdays, you go to this bar, Wednesdays, you go to this bar, all the cheap deals. The problem was after college, I kept doing that. I learned after a little while that I had to cut it down. And uh, I ended up moving to a new city because I just couldn't kind of control it. Uh, my life wasn't going in a great, it was not, it was headed downward where mm-hmm. I was. And that's because it was just so accessible. So I moved to Madison, starting over kind of trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And then uh, I finally realized that I wanted to be a lineman, which is what my dad does, which is we work on high voltage power lines. Well, I didn't drink often. But every single time I drank, I drank till I was blacked out. Yeah. And um, it was often that I would end up in places that I would have no idea how I got there. Didn't necessarily know where my clothes were. 
um, where's my car kind of a yeah, thing. I hated that. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I went home with some friends and it was after, right after I had graduated uh, line school and I was trying to get a job in the career. And, you know, in this career, I know I'm going to be on call 24 seven. And I know that I'm going to have to really cut back on my drinking. And at this point I'm thinking I'm going to have to stop. I got really, really drunk with my friends and I ended up like leaving them and going with a bunch of other people. And I remember being at this house party and just trying to drink all of the alcohol. I mean, they had like $10 vodka, one seven five and I'm just taking pulls out of it and I'm already blacked out. Like I, I remember flashes of coming into it and that was the next day I had a hangover that I could not keep anything down until midnight the day after. And I was supposed to be back in Madison to do something with my girlfriend who's now my wife. And, um, I, I texted her. I'm like, I'm not gonna make it. She's like, yeah, I figured you wouldn't. And it, that's when it hit me. Like I'm an unreliable person. I wake up in the mornings wondering who I have to forgive today. Um, I look in the mirror. I don't like who I am. I, I've respected the person I was in high school more than I respect this person right now. And if I wanted a career, if I wanted a family, I was going to have to make a change and that change was going to have to be to go sober. So I kind of followed in my dad's footsteps a little bit. The only person I told was my girlfriend that, Hey, I'm going to try to go sober. And I ended up telling one of my best friends. And luckily I told him because he kind of, made it so that everybody, when we were hanging out with our other friends from high school, our old drinking buddies, he made them know, Hey, he's serious. He needs this. Do not pressure him. And like, he was kind of like, he was the muscle to kind of help me get through those pressures because I don't know if I would have gotten through those pressure, especially in the early days. Right. But that was, that's kind of like the backstory. I mean, I fell into the Wisconsin drinking culture pretty hard and it took, it took a lot to get out of it. So, you know, for the first five years or so, I honestly didn't, didn't even look into why I drank the way I drank, didn't go to therapy or anything. I just, through sheer stubbornness, which through the fault of myself Mm -hmm. didn't help me at all, but it it worked, you know, I, I made it through there, but since I've went to therapy right before we started the podcast. And since we started the podcast, I mean, same as you, it really has transformed my recovery. I'm curious about your father's experience getting sober and how that impacted you. And and if you ever thought about it while you were drinking and do you think it was a hindrance or a help? Well, it was a help when I first started going sober. Right. But it was definitely a hurt with, how he did it. That's and what I was wondering. Not talking yes. about his experiences or anything. Right. First time we talked about it was like last year. Wow. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost eight years into my sobriety. And that was the first time we really talked about, he knew how I drank. Right. But that was the first time we talked about uh, wow. each other's. And, you know, we were very similar drinkers in that in that regard, you know, he, he, like I said, he was a lineman. He drank while he was a lineman and he tells stories about how he would take a trouble call, which means at the end of the night, somebody's out of power. 
And one night it was a tornado warning and he's out there. And next thing he knows, he's in a line truck taking a call and he doesn't know how he got there, what he's doing there. And there's a tornado, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, um, I was curious about that because I was thinking, so I grew up with a mother who had mental illness, serious mental illness. And it was something that we didn't talk about in our family ever. And it was like, uh, so the message I got as a kid subconsciously, I suppose, was that, um, we, I should not never tell anybody about what I'm feeling or fearing or because they might find out that I'm like my Mm -hmm. mom, you know, and that's bad. Um, and so I had this resistance to, to seeking help. And I was wondering if that might have been your case too. But then again, I'm, I'm going to say that this is we're human beings are so complex. I could have had that experience with my mom and that might've had absolutely nothing to do with my reluctance to get help. You know, that's just yeah. me psychoanalyzing myself. But you know, I kind of, I kind of think sometimes that it would have been maybe better in my family if we would have had a conversation about her mental illness. Um, it couldn't have hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you know, as honestly, I think that a lot of men yeah. our age and older have the same upbringing where we don't talk about anything unless we're angry. Right. Yep. I mean, even joy, we're taught to kind of suppress it a little bit yep. for out of either sportsmanship, you know, a lot that's of things. Yep. And that's something that I've learned the past, you know, four years. My, my wife is a marriage and family therapist. So I learned mm-hmm. it from her a little bit too, is uh, my emotional intelligence is so stunted, not just from the toxic masculinity that, right you know, we're talking about right now, but mm-hmm. because of the, I didn't know how to handle my emotions. So I drank them away. Right. Right. That's, it, it really has made me, um, as a father, want to make sure that I'm not going to follow that same path, right. but then try to do better now every day, try to do better at just naming my emotions. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like men. Um, and, and certainly it was that way for me. Um, I was taught, um, you know, don't cry, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not good. Uh, girls will cry, but you don't cry. Um, you know, and, uh, so anger, I guess was how I expressed anything, you know, depression came out as anger. Anything Mm -hmm. came out that way. Um, and, uh, I, I wasn't the, fortunately for me, um, of a type of drunk that would get in fights, although I I would, but I would go down on the first punch. It wasn't like a a, a real, real fight. um, (laughs) So I wasn't really violent in that sense, but I was an angry, angry person and really a lot of anger directed at myself. So that was a lot that I had to work through in my recovery and get to the point where, like you said, where I had to understand what my emotions were and, and, and be okay with, with that. And one mm-hmm. thing that helped me a lot, um, I, I went to an all men's group, um, and that was just by accident. And I just happened to have a lot of guys, my age, I was in my twenties, um, that were getting sober together. So we would run around, we'd watch football together and we would cheer against the Broncos because we're in Kansas city. So <laughs> we didn't like the Broncos, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, yeah, so we were really tight, you know, and, and mm-hmm. what was nice about that experience was that was the first time that I had friendships, uh, with other guys where it wasn't just watching football or being going to the movies or being crazy, right. but actually talking about our lives and how we felt. You know, and so now that's just like, uh, 
second nature for me to do that, but it wasn't always that way. That's important. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I was just sitting back listening right now and enjoying that conversation right there. Cause I, I can relate. I can heavily relate to, to that. Obviously RJ knows my story very well, but it's, you know, football. Mm. And that's why I always state that, you know, my story starts with the game of football because sportsmanship, the game teaches you to suppress your emotions. Yeah. Uh, don't show your opponent that you're sweating or that you're bleeding. Uh, obviously don't, don't ever cry. Yeah. Um, and then the pressures of, you know, what have you done for me lately mm-hmm. um, on top mm-hmm. of that? So, yep. the, and then you're also rewarded for getting <sighs> what you've done is never good enough. Is that it? exactly. I hate that. Anger is the only emotion, anger and excitement, mm-hmm. of course, but anger produces great results. Yep. In in the game of football. Um, oh my God. I, I so discovered that, that as a little kid. Um, yeah. you know, if, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, so but... that's been reinforced <laughs> my entire life. Yep. Um, anger brings about great results, uh, which obviously does not translate well off the field. No, no. Um, so it's, it is this, it is this culture, this, this patriarchal culture, uh, this American culture where men just, you know, breadwinners go work, come home. Don't talk about how you're feeling. You can't be tired. You know, can't talk about any of that. And that's that's just what we hope to change. So I'm going to get some comments on YouTube because YouTubers love to make um, derogatory comments about and they're going to say, they're going to say, stop bashing men. Stop bashing men. Well, right. we're not. We're not. We're just talking no. about we're just talking about, you know, the, <laughs> what we what we've kind of learned, you know. And yeah. anyway, so tell me about your podcast. What, what was the idea behind that? Uh, I'll jump in real quick. Uh, so honestly, got to give credit to RJ. RJ came to me about it. So. I was never really into podcasts, uh, uh-huh. really not at all. Even I'll even go back to as early or as recent as twenty like eighteen. Uh-huh. Wasn't really a podcast guy. Uh, you know, I obviously messed around a little bit here and there, listening to a few, but never really was into it. So, twenty twenty came about, uh, and yeah. RJ brought it to my attention. And our goal, pretty much what he stated, and I agreed, was, you know, we're at a very comfortable spot in our recovery. Mm-hmm. imagine the folks who are starting their recovery this year and now they're, they're they're slapped with the the global pandemic or the the stay-at-home orders forced to isolate right yep and so we were like well let's create a let's create another medium for folks that and, and where we're not wearing our white lab coats or anything right. <laughs> we're just two fathers two guys who mm-hmm. have no experience as aoda counselors just talking about our days and our triggers and what helps us to stay away from the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, RJ, is that uh, pretty much the way that this thing got started? I mean, uh, so, I, I noticed that your first episode was in March of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was just kind of, uh, I, I guess, lucky or unlucky that it just started there. It was just kind yeah. of like random. Right. I'd been on months for like a year and a half to start one, actually. Mm, yeah. um, so when I was, just starting going sober. Um, one thing that I would do is uh, listen to podcasts and I would listen to Nerdist a lot. And that's mm. Chris Hardwick. And for people who don't know about him, he's he's been sober for 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. He All he does is have, he has a conversational podcast with famous people. And, you know, he's a comedian, so he's got funny mm-hmm. stuff. But when he would get into stories with other people who were sober or just about his own 
story, it made me feel really good. Like I wasn't alone. It made me feel like somebody else understands what I'm going through. So this is normal. Like this is, this is not something that, um, you know, is a just a me thing. And since then I really wanted to, uh, kind of give back in a way I've listened, I've listened to podcasts because I don't like listening to the radio because the same, right. same songs every five minutes, right? Yeah. Like you only get, even on sports shows, you only get like five minutes of content and five minutes of commercials. And it, so I would listen to podcasts and I really want to start a podcast and Mons and I would go, um, we go golfing and we talk about our sobriety and I'm like, you know, we have some really good conversations. We should start mm-hmm. a podcast. Mm-hmm. We should, yeah. we should talk about this and record it. And, Finally, in uh, March of, you know, 2020, we uh, recorded three episodes and put them out. And we've just been trying to uh, trying to be better every week since then. So you guys do a good job. Thank you. You know, I found that podcasting is a really intimate medium. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the listener is usually, they're usually listening on their phone and, and they usually are, have earbuds and they're hearing you right here in their their head, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've even had some people tell me they fall asleep while they're listening to my podcast. And so it's a real personal, intimate experience and it's perfect for recovery. And um, when people can hear their own stories through someone else, and I, that's, that's, that's usually the email that I get is, boy, it was so great to listen to that episode. That person had my story and mm-hmm. I've never heard that before, you know, and it's just, it's just incredible. So it's, it's an amazing tool. A lot of people mm-hmm. are using podcasts just as a tool of their recovery. It's, a, it's a, something, something put in your toolkit. I think it's great. I agree. I agree. I think since, Kind of talking about, you know, it reinforcing my recovery journey as well. I, th- I think that, that that's really what the podcast has yes, done does for myself know. is got to the got to a point where, you know, I, I still still go see my same therapist guy. I love him to death. Uh, at first it was, you know, going to see him like eight times a month. Now it's mm-hmm. down to like once a month. Uh, but you know, this relationship now that I have with my recovery has become stronger Yes, with this podcast because it reinforces it, why right. I'm doing it, what's important to me. And also just by hearing myself state yeah. or share why I stopped drinking again, helps me to remind myself like, you know, Hey, yeah. ever since I stopped drinking, you know, I haven't really had a bad experience with a police officer. <laughs> so, so kind of just like reminding myself that. One of the first things I noticed from podcasting when I first got started some time ago was that I had to train myself to listen to my guest and I would really focus on the listening and I noticed that I would start doing that when I wasn't podcasting. So if I was at work or if I was talking to my wife, I was really practicing that skill of listening. And my wife would disagree with you to this day that I've gotten any good at it. But I think <laughs> I think I've gotten a lot better. But yes, so for me, the podcast, it truly has been transformative because of yeah. all the people I've talked to, I, their stories are still with me. You know, uh, because, you know, I, you go mm-hmm. through the editing process, you listen to them, they, they, they just become part of me. And so I, they, they, I've grown tremendously just yeah. from their stories. 
And then do you guys get feedback? Do you ever have people write you and thank you or tell you how much the podcast means to them or helps them? Oh yeah. 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 Go ahead, RJ. How's that feel? I'd love for you to share this. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. you know, the first time it happens, it's like, you know, uh, being told I love you by somebody for the first time, right. Yeah, it's that, yeah. that warm feeling throughout yeah. your entire body. Um, uh, you know, it's happened a few times and every single time it honestly feels like the first time a little bit, it just, yeah. it reinvigorates you. It fills you up knowing you're, that's what, you know, we're trying to do. Everybody here is just let people know they're not alone yeah. and help them along. And, when you hear that that's being accomplished, like it's just, you know, um, it's affirmations really that right. what yeah. you're doing. So, I mean, I love it. I, I, you know, we, we, we hit the year mark um, earlier this year, obviously in March mm-hmm. and, you know, we're checking out our numbers mm-hmm. and stuff and, you know, we know we're not the biggest podcast ever. We, we got a tight knit group of folks. And once mm-hmm. we hit that one year mark, you know, we were looking at our numbers and we we're just like, okay, you know, we got to change some things up. Maybe, you know, get some more traction here, maybe thinking about some stuff. But then we took a step back and we we're like, but hold on a second. You know, we we're receiving these messages from yes. folks, even sometimes maybe just once a month. And at right. the end of the day, that's all that matters. Um, yeah. You know, I had to remind myself that if we just help out one person, one family, then then untapped keg did its job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a makeshift podcast in the basement. And if we help out one person or one family, then then that's truly all that matters. Yeah. It it blows me away. I, I sometimes don't know how to respond. You know, I, mm-hmm. I I'm getting better at just saying, you know, thank you so much for listening and letting me know, you know, how this podcast has impacted your life. It has mm-hmm. helped me just as much, you know, um, but it. It, it, it was really surprising to me um, in the beginning because I, I was just having fun and I just like doing it. And, and I started learning that, wow, I'm really connecting. I'm connecting with people. They're connecting with me. And that's just, that has just been an amazing experience. But yeah, I, I occasionally get letters, um, emails um, and it, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of humbling in a way because I, I just, I wasn't, you know, expecting that, um, result, but, um, that, especially now with COVID, you know, people are using any kind of resource they can to, um, enhance their recovery. And what's really kind of one of the benefits of COVID and people, so many people being isolated is that we've had to find new ways of reaching out, you know? Mm Yeah. Yeah. So now you yeah, guys are yeah. open about your recovery too. So you, you don't mind using your names. You're not anonymous, anything like that. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? I don't think anything of it. Like uh, when we started this, like I wanted to be vulnerable. I wanted to show people that it's okay to uh, have these feelings and everything. Like, you know, like I said, I'm almost eight years. I still get cravings. Uh, you know, our, our latest episode, um, I had an uncle that recently passed and yeah, I was listening went to, to that went to his funeral and I talked about how the pressures, the stresses, all the emotions coming in, it led to cravings, but Mm. I had, you know, what I used before, which is uh, cooking and listening to, you know, some music from back in my high school days. And 
like that really brought me back to center and helped me out. And, um, for me, I honestly don't even think twice about it until recently. Um, I have, my wife just said, sometimes she worries that if we get too big, all our laundry is going to be out there. And I'm like, uh, I did not even think about that. Yeah. So now I have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of ironic. You asked about that right now. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant, I thought you meant like figuratively too, right? right. Uh, <laughs> you won't have time to do laundry. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the laundry is just going to be all over the place. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did you have any concerns uh, about it, Monty, about just being out open? Uh, yeah. Out there? Um, yeah. I felt, you know, for, for many reasons, I think it's it's what our listeners deserve is is, is our honesty, is mm-hmm. our openness, uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, we, we wouldn't we didn't want to start this and, and just not be honest. Um, but for me, it, it's it's mutually beneficial. It, it's it's for our listeners um, and it's it's for us as well, too, um, yeah. just by just being open and honest. And you will always have trolls. You'll have people that aren't going to believe you. You're going to have folks mm-hmm. who are just going to give you the thumbs down. But. At the end of the day, as I stated earlier, we're just hoping to just help one one person, one family, just yeah. shoot for that. We're shooting for that and could continuously shoot for that. Maybe get one family a month, and that that's our goal. So, being open is the best route. I, I agree, you know, and I can't remember when it was that I I shifted the podcast from being John S. Mister Anonymous, who never showed his face or anything, to being John Sheldon on YouTube and yeah. out and open. But it was a really important shift for me to do that because I didn't, I was tired of having a secret life. My recovery was a secret, you know, mm. and that was one part of it. But the other part I didn't like is any time that I would dare to um, use my last name or, or go on YouTube or put a video out, I would immediately get shot down by people that I needed that I'm needing to be anonymous or something like that. So I just, I just had to kind of rebel a little bit and say, God damn it, excuse me, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to be open about my recovery because, um, the one thing that hurt me the most in my life, um, about getting into recovery and getting help for mental health issues was stigma. Yeah. Was the thing. And I think that the more that people speak openly about being in recovery, it reduces that stigma because the stigma isn't just about, um, being an addict or an alcoholic, the stigma is about just being a person in recovery. Exactly. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you said that because I've been reconnecting with folks who once I decided to stop drinking, I kind of had to create a distance between our relationship because of some of the things that, you know, they still party weekly and all that jazz. And that's just not my life anymore. Yep. But I've been reaching back out, talking to them. How, how have you been? What are you doing? And I feel that at times with them that that and they don't mean to do that, like they need to coddle me just because I don't drink right, alcohol. Right, right. And I'm like, I, I'm OK. <laughs> I'm fine. Right. I like everything's OK. Uh, you don't you don't have to ask me if if like all these questions like I'm a, like I'm a toddler, although I respect it. But I but again, it's just that stigma. Right. I think it's just the unknown folks not understanding um, a lot about the recovery world. Um, And I guess that's what we aim for. You know, one thing too, with uh, our, our podcast, I never called myself an alcoholic before we started the podcast. Mm. It was like six months in, I 
finally said the words out loud. Now, yeah. now it flows easy, right? Mm-hmm. I've just I just told people I don't drink. Right. But um, I, I Mons and I have talked about this before, and we laugh about it. But I, I wonder if you have the same experience, and I'm guessing you do. When you tell people that you don't drink, oh. do they instantly <laughs> go, "Oh, I don't drink that often"? It's I usually just drink on the weekends or like special occasions. But so I'm just gonna, ha- I just have one. Right? <laughs> does that happen to you? Yes, it does. But I tell you what has happened to me that, um, oh, well, here's the thing. One one good thing about being open about it is I won't have this issue anymore. But I had I had a boss at work that would give me a hard time for not drinking. So I would be like at a work function yeah. where people are drinking and they have little tickets where you can get your drink and stuff. And then he mm-hmm. would make fun of me because I'm, I don't have a use for my ticket or whatever. He would actually make fun of me for not drinking. And, you know, and I, and he didn't ha- he had no idea why I didn't drink. I have damn good reason for it. And if he knew how many people I know who died from it, he might not either, but you know, he would do that and I would just get uncomfortable and I would just, I would just leave, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but so now, so I would have that experience, but that's kind of unusual to have somebody do that. But I, um, being open now, you know, um, if, if anyone wants to know why I don't drink, you know, I have, I have good reason for it and I can talk about recovery, which is more positive than just not drinking. Recovery is really, you know, uh, it's it's been it's a it's it's a process of change that I've been going through ever since I was in my twenties, which was a long time ago, and um, I wouldn't change it for anything. And um, so, yeah, but I I do get that occasionally where people become, you know, kind of like they talk about their own drinking. That's not, yeah, it's not. I, I really don't drink that much. So, so. But, yeah, and then yeah, it's. Yeah, we do talk Every about time. that. It's, like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm it's always really just like, okay. just because I couldn't handle it doesn't mean yeah. it's, it's, uh, I, I enjoy what you said about the, it's a process. We, mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot is, you know, one of my favorite episodes that, that we did was, it was an episode that it pretty much revolved around relapse. Mm. Um, you know, because some folks, you know, you can get, really stuck in counting the days and and everything and then if you do experience a relapse some folks do think that the days that they stacked no longer matter no longer count like you haven't learned anything during that time exactly Mm -hmm. um so that's that's why i really enjoyed what you said about just it's it's a process this this process is not supposed to be perfect Mm-hmm. if it was perfect there would still be no aa groups there would be no na groups right. there would be none of that like it, support groups are there because they know they're you're, you're still gonna have to deal with life you're yep. still gonna have to face the music you just don't have that you know self-medicating avenue right. anymore so yeah. you may be stressed you're gonna stumble you're gonna fall but just understand it's a process and the days that you've accumulated prior to your relapse are still there Absolutely. they still matter you still did it Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a process. It's yep. a, it's a process. So it's the untapped keg and people can find you on uh, Apple podcast. Uh, do you guys have a website that, that people can go to or anything like that? No, we don't, we don't have a, a website right now. You know, if they just go to Twitter and That's search right. untapped keg, or if you go to YouTube and you search untapped keg, uh, yeah. you can get all of our content there. Um, we're also on Facebook. We have a Facebook group and a community. Um, basically, if you Google on Tap Keg, 
actually we pop up pretty pretty high up on the list too i actually think we are at the top so we're lucky there nobody nobody uses the untapped keg for anything so we've been really lucky (laughs) it's a great name and i love your artwork too you guys did a good job with that and your sound quality is excellent uh really from the very beginning so you guys are doing a good job thank you Um, and i tell you what i I love being a guest on podcasts i wish i knew somebody who had a podcast on a youtube channel that might invite me to be a guest sometime but we'll find we'll try to figure that out so thank you guys both for being That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.